KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Osher Lifelong Learning Institute, hosting an open house to learn about the upcoming classes and seminars, member benefits, and meet the volunteer leadership team. Saturday, March 30th. Registration at extendedstudies.ucsd.edu slash O-L-L-I. To mask or not to mask in the workplace. The coronavirus has moved faster than the speed of law. If nothing else, what happened last night proves that. Potential legal challenges to Cal OSHA's new guidance. I'm Jade Hindman. This is KPBS Midday Edition. Small business closures are having a big impact on the economy and workforce. Let's just be clear about where we are. Half of America's workforce works for a small business or owns a small business. Sadly, during the course of the pandemic, one-third of our small businesses have closed. And hear about local art shows in our weekend preview. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by the San Diego County Toyota Dealers whose commitment to customers extends to giving back to the community and who are proud to support the City of San Diego lifeguards with their important role of keeping our beaches safe. Toyota, let's go places. A California Workplace Safety Board recommended a more relaxed approach to masks in the workplace, provided everyone in a room is fully vaccinated. Last night, California's Division of Occupational Safety and Health, or Cal-OSHA, adopted the new guidance that is set to begin on June 15th the same day as when the state will ease much of its current restrictions. As the state continues to shed long-standing COVID restrictions, questions remain about how the new mask guidance will be enforced and how employers will know the vaccination status of employees. Joining me with more is legal analyst and partner at the San Diego firm Seltzer Kaplan McMahon and Vitek Dan Eaton. Dan, welcome. Good to be with you, Jade. So, okay, what prompted Cal OSHA to adopt these new guidelines for mask wearing in the workplace? Particularly what prompted it was the updated guidance from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which essentially said that fully vaccinated people don't need to wear masks indoors. Uh, The problem was that what the uh, Occupational Safety and Health Standards Board enacted last night does not really fully align with the CDC guideline, which is one of the reasons the majority of the board initially voted it down before they decided uh, these revised rules were better than the old outdated rules that would have remained in effect. The discussion among the Cal OSHA board in the lead up to this decision was sharply divided. What are people who aren't fully on board with this relaxed guidance saying? There are uh, three basic concerns. One is uh, that the uh, revised rules uh, don't align uh, with the updated uh, CDC guidance. The second concern is that there is an awful lot of ambiguity, such as what does it mean that everyone uh, in a room has to be uh, fully vaccinated? What kind of documentation does an employer have to require? The third is this requirement that employers provide unvaccinated employees an appropriate face uh, covering, a respiratory covering like N95 for voluntary use. The concern is that employers are going to stockpile those and that it will stress the supply for first responders in what is expected to be a horrific coming of a wildfire season as well as healthcare workers. 
Does that requirement to provide employees who haven't been vaccinated with a mask violate or step into some privacy issues with employees? In an ethical sense, yes, it steps into some privacy issues, but probably not in a legal sense, although there's a caveat here in that the Federal uh, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has said in guidance that was issued on May 28th that it really is not a disability-related inquiry that runs afoul of the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, to ask for documentation of vaccination, nor is it an inquiry about an employee's genetic information, which would run afoul of the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act for a variety of reasons, by the way, uh, HIPAA wouldn't apply. Is there going to be a legal way for employers or employees to challenge masking requirements in the meantime? I mean, how is this new guidance going to be enforced? It's really not entirely clear how it's going to be enforced. The fact is that a lot of these uh, guidelines that have been happening throughout this uh, coronavirus have depended on the voluntary compliance of employers, employees, and even the general public. Uh, And uh, enforcement is going to depend on a clear understanding of folks. As far as a legal challenge, that's going to be very tough because administrative agencies, particularly in a public health crisis, have broad latitude uh, to issue rules. But the ambiguity is an issue. With respect to the enforcement, the staff was directed uh, to work very, very quickly to come up with robust, that was the word one of the directors of the safety board used, robust uh, answers to frequently asked questions to clarify some of the ambiguity. That should give us a better idea of how these new rules, which are going to be revisited, by the way, because the majority didn't like them in the first place within the next two months, how these new rules are going to be enforced while they are in effect. How does this updated guidance play into existing employer liability concerns? Well, when you're talking about employer liability, at least with respect to employees, you're really uh, limited to uh, workers' compensation. There are broader issues, of course, concerning the general public. Those ultimately are going to have to be worked out uh, in the courts. The uh, Occupational uh, Safety and Health Standards Board has a fairly limited, although broad in a sense, jurisdiction over the workplace. Some of the issues that we're talking about with respect to liability depend on broader principles of laws. Ultimately, those are going to have to be worked out in the courts. And that working out, by the way, is going to last a long time after this pandemic. That is why I have frequently said that the coronavirus has moved faster than the speed of law. If nothing else, what happened last night proves that. That in mind, how complicated will this be for an employer to determine whether the person standing on the other side of a cash register or a desk has been vaccinated? How complicated will this be for those who work in public-facing careers? But Jade, you've just asked the critical question, as you always do. And that is that when you're talking about public-facing, you are talking about people, by definition, whose documentation an employer will not have and and really cannot request. So the bottom line is, because of that uncertainty of vaccination status, by definition, everyone is going to have to keep their mask on. And these businesses, by the way, are free to require their uh, public uh, constituents, such as customers and vendors, to keep their masks on as well. Look, reports of the mask demise have been greatly exaggerated, if I could borrow a phrase from Mark Twain. And uh, finally, you know, some have speculated that Governor Newsom might roll out further easing of restrictions in the meantime before the state is set to do away with most of its COVID-related restrictions on the 15th. Is this a possibility, you think? 
Isn't that the fascinating thing? Because the governor could actually override what the safety board did through executive action. That was confirmed by uh, OSHA staff uh, last night. And also the legislature could kick in, although the legislative process is a lot slower. You're going to have to keep your eye on what's going on uh, with the governor and particularly with the safety board, which again is expected to revisit what they did last night in the next couple of months. And in the meantime, the coronavirus rolls on and science at least is catching up. The law, not so much. I've been speaking with legal analyst and partner at the San Diego firm Seltzer, Kaplan, McMahon, and Vitek, Dan Eaton. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be with you, Jade. Vice President and former California Senator Kamala Harris recently claimed one-third of all small businesses have closed during the pandemic. Camp Radio's Chris Nichols fact-checked that and other statements in this week's Can You Handle the Truth segment. Chris, when and where did Vice President Harris make this claim? She made it during a TV interview that aired this week on MSNBC, and she was talking about the toll the pandemic has taken on small businesses. This is one of my areas of focus. I care so deeply about this, which is one, let's just let's just be clear about where we are. Half of America's workforce works for a small business or owns a small business. Um, Sadly, during the course of the pandemic, one third of our small businesses have closed. One third of all small businesses have closed. Wow. So is that correct? It really is a stark figure. And we found a couple of sources that do support her statement. A spokesperson for Harris pointed to a Harvard University project called the Economic Tracker. And that's an online platform that provides data about real-time economic trends. It uses things like financial transaction activity to determine whether a business has closed. And as of this week, the tracker shows there are 37% fewer small businesses open nationwide compared with a couple months before the pandemic. And that share was slightly higher in California at 39%. Where else did you look to fact check this statement? Well, the Small Business Roundtable, which advocates for small businesses, published a survey in May of last year that also supports this claim. At that time, 31% of small businesses reported that they were not operating. And those faring the worst at that time were hotels, restaurants, cafes, and similar businesses. Did you find any sources that contradicted what Harris said? The Federal Reserve Board published a study in April that offers a slightly different but more hopeful perspective. It found there certainly were a lot of business closures over the past year, but fewer than expected ended up as permanent business closures. Finally, Chris, PolitiFact checked out a widely shared and, we should note, inaccurate social media post about Vice President Harris and President Joe Biden. What did it have to say? That's right. This was a Facebook post that claimed Biden and Harris, quote, did not say one word about American troops, veterans, or fallen military on Memorial Day. And Randall, that post is simply incorrect. The post points to tweets that Biden and Harris sent out a couple days before the holiday that do not mention the military, but both over the weekend made statements honoring military members and their families, Biden and Harris participated in a wreath-laying ceremony at Arlington National Cemetery, 
and Biden spoke at a Memorial Day ceremony in Delaware. Even last year in those early dark days of the pandemic, Jill and I didn't want to let Memorial Day pass like every other day, and there was no event here where we came to lay a wreath at the plaza. It was the first time we did any sort of event since the lockdown had begun in March because we were determined, determined to honor the fallen. In the end, PolitiFact rated the claim on Facebook as false. That was Cap Radio's Chris Nichols speaking with anchor Randall White. Full versions of all fact checks are at capradio.org slash PolitiFact. KPBS On Demand is supported by MaraCal Design and Remodeling, helping homeowners with their home remodeling needs. From ADUs to custom kitchen remodels and room additions, MaraCal Design and Remodeling designs and builds your dream home. Learn more at trustyourhometous.com. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. This weekend in the arts, we have a new exhibition of art that takes on the Tijuana River Valley, the first on-site event at the Old Globe since COVID began, a cello virtuoso on a live stream, and the return of trolley dances. Joining me with all the details is KPBS arts editor Julia Dixon-Evans. Julia, welcome. Hi, Jade. Thanks for having me. Okay, so first up, a new regional artist at Lux Art Institute opens his exhibition tonight, uh, which is inspired by the study of borders and waterways like the Tijuana River. Tell us about this show. Yeah, this is Omar Pimienta, and he's a cross-border artist having grown up in Tijuana, and he studied and worked in San Diego. He does an interdisciplinary art practice, a kind of a merging of different forms. And in this exhibition, Sedimento, there's photography, sculpture, and mixed media, often together, like sculptural lettering set on top of landscape photography of the Tijuana River or the valley and natural spaces that are around that area. And this particular river is, it's heavily politicized. It's charged with a lot of geographic and biological purpose, as well as political and social. And the language parts of his art really make us think about that. Some of the writing on his photographs is things like time is foreign, or landscape is a social construct. And my favorite is uh, there's a field of nasturtiums with the words, this is concrete over it. And he's also a poet and has published a poetry collection that's also called Sedimento. And tonight at the opening, he'll read some of that poetry outside in the Lux Garden. And there'll also be an artist talk and a DJ set, too. This is also your last chance to see Basir Khan's exhibition up there at Lux as well. Omar Pimienta's exhibition at Lux Art Institute opens tonight with a reception from 6 to 9 p.m. Viewing appointments are also available Saturday from 2 to 5 p.m. Now to the theater. The Old Globe is hosting their first on-site event in over a year. Tell us what their Word Up program will look like and how we can attend. Yeah, so this is a free event and it's in their outdoor Copley Plaza space just outside of the theater. And it will also be Word Up, which is hosted by Laura Zibli, and it's like a sort of casual, low-pressure participation thing where they bring in creative experts that are from in or out of the theater world to talk about and collaborate live on whatever their particular craft is. 
This week's is hip-hop and freestyle rap with hip-hop artist Mickey Vale and rapper Rick Scales. Mickey Vale will start things off at 5 o'clock with a pre-show DJ set. And the Old Globe suggests dancing, which I... I don't know if everybody's quite ready for that level of social awkwardness. And then Lady Carolyn's Pub will also be open at 5. Then at 5.30, they'll dig into the art of freestyle rap and hip-hop performance. Um, both of these artists are really amazing. Here's a track from Rick Scales, Project 18 Scales. This is called Anything You Want. Love the groove, provided I make them jams, it's making a move. Body shaking like they ain't taste this flavor of cool. Got them wearing all of her favorites, makeup and jewels, just to give them this new addition with Rick and the Boobs. That's Anything You Want by Rick Scales, Project 18 Scales. Rick Scales and Mickey Vale will be at the Outdoor Plaza at the Old Globe for Word Up. Doors open at 5 and the program starts at 5.30 tonight. Trolley Dances, San Diego's beloved site-specific dance program, is also back this weekend. Tell us what we can expect there. Yeah, they had to cancel last year's performance, of course, and they just streamed a collection of clips from previous shows. So it's really great to get back to the actual trolleys. They'll do a shorter version, just three stops and four dances, with new site-specific choreography from some trolley dances favorites, like Monica Bill Barnes and the return of Jean Isaacs. If you get tickets to the tour, you'll start at the 70th Street trolley stop for the first performance. Then, with your masks on, you'll take a short ride to some nearby stations for the other dances. And if you want to try your luck at just walking up to peak the performances, kind of audit style. They'll be at 70th Street, then the San Diego State Station for two performances, and then to Grantville for the final dance. San Diego Dance Theater does caution that there is limited room for walk-ups, so your safest bet is to just get a ticket in advance. Trolley Dances takes place this weekend with performances on Saturday and Sunday starting at 70th Street Trolley Station at 10.30, 11.30, 12.30, and 1.30 each day. Uh, now let's say you're, you're not ready to go to a live performance yet. Are there any new concerts available to just live stream? Yeah, La Jolla Music Society will live stream an outdoor concert of cello and piano music on Sunday. And even if you wanted to go see this one live, you couldn't because all of the in-person shows are sold out. They're bringing in young cello virtuoso Zlatomir Fung and pianist Richard Fu to perform three works. There's sonatas from Beethoven and Foray. And then this really mysterious tonal dance piece called Duo for Cello and Piano by American composer Arthur Berger. That's Duo for Cello and Piano by Arthur Berger. You can hear it performed by Zlatomir Fung on cello and Richard Fu on piano in a live stream concert this Sunday at 3 p.m. For details on these and more arts events or to sign up for Julia's weekly KPBS arts newsletter, go to kpbs.org arts. I've been speaking with KPBS arts editor Julia Dixon Evans. Julia, thanks and have a great weekend. You too, Jade.
KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu.